0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence.
1: Welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Kate Andrews, and I'm joined by our editor, Fraser Nelson, and our politics editor, James Forsyth. James... It's been going on for some time now, but yet again today, Jacob Rees-Mogg has taken a real aim at the civil servants in Whitehall. Now, not just calling for them to get back to their desks, but suggesting that quite a few of them won't have a desk anymore. Talk us through the latest update.
0: So the government's plan is to take the civil service back to its 2016 size. And I think the essential, this is the government saying that we're going to shrink Beside the cost, we're trying to reduce the cost of government so that we can help people with the cost of living by cutting their taxes. Now, this move is obviously going to be controversial because people inevitably say, well, the reason the civil service has grown in size since 2016 is that it has had to do lots more stuff, not only because of Brexit, but also because of COVID. So, are you asking them to do more? or with fewer numbers. And then the other problem you're going to get to is people will say, well, hang on a second, everyone is criticising the passport office for being too slow and saying it needs more staff, not less. Now, I, I mean, to take those arguments in turn, part of the question about efficiency is, do these things like the DVLA and the passport office work in the most efficient way possible? Are they using technology to the maximum degree that they can? I I think that is unlikely. And then I think the other question is, you know, do we want the state to be doing all the things that it is doing? And I mean, that is the bigger question that the government needs to be prepared to tackle rather than civil service numbers. The state has expanded a lot in recent years, and I think we need to discuss whether that expansion is healthy and whether we want them to carry on doing all of these things.
1: Fraser, to some extent, Jacob Rees-Mogg's comments are just part of established policy. Back in March, the Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Simon Clark, did a speech where he talked about how the civil service headcount had gone up 23% since 2015-16, something like 7% in 2021 alone. And it was just the government's ambition to get numbers back down to what they see as a more reasonable figure trying to cut the headcount back down to 2020 levels in a few years' time. But he described it as a quiet revolution. Jacob Rees-Mogg is having a very loud revolution. Is he just trying to embed this as in? In, in a broader culture war do you think?
2: I think he's just trying to demonstrate that the government is doing something I mean when David Cameron made a big fuss about consolidating the public sector workforce, it was about 600,000 30 years ago um, in 2010 when Cameron came in it was closer to um, 500,000 it went down to about 400,000 but they did that mainly by recruitment freeze, not by firing everybody left, right and centre you can just simply not replace people who leave. Now what's happened is it's gone from 400,000 back up to half a million uh, under the last sort of weirdly enough in the post-Brexit era. So you have got the machine getting a little bit out of control. I was talking to a government minister recently who asked for an audit of what the department does. And the department was so sprawling that not even senior civil servants could give a list of what all was going on. And the minister was saying, look, our fundamental problem here is we've got a government that has grown out of all proportion to its usefulness. And there's no doubt that one of the biggest costs facing people right now is the rising cost of government. Boris Johnson's taxes stand at a 72-year high. This is putting people, uh, you know, the government has never helped itself more to other people's money than it's doing right now under the supposedly Tory government. So having um, Jacob Rees-Mogg be saying is, yes, we recognise that we need to slim down a little bit. And also, you know, as David Cameron demonstrated, I think for every one job shed by the civil servant. I think three jobs were created in the private sector. So you've got, this isn't a question of cutting jobs overall. It's just where jobs are best located. Are they best located in the free economy or in the government bureaucracy? Now, civil servants are absolutely crucial. The high calibre of them is needed a lot. Uh, I am, you know, a tall, not at all anti-civil servants. But I do think that there, there are qu- serious questions. When Boris Johnson's having his I find rather ridiculous sort of fortnightly meetings asking his ministers, right, guys, come up with some ideas to help with the cost of living. The biggest idea is that he can stop Taking so much of other people's money, and he can slim down his government and find more efficient ways of doing it. That the government finds efficiencies in the way that so many households are having to do right now.
1: James, on that point about the the biggest issue facing government and people right now, the spiraling cost of living crisis, it's been a week of bad news across the pond in the US. They got slightly good news that. No guarantee, but perhaps inflation has started to peak. The headline rate dropped from 8.5% to 8.3% on the month. Here in the UK, however, it's just been a barrage of bad news. Um, Growth was 0.8% in the first quarter this year. That was lower than what the consensus was suggesting. The economy slightly contracted in March by 0.1%. And as Fraser writes in his Telegraph column today, it seems like what the government has come up with so far is having these fortnightly meetings where they talk about what to do and then decide to have yet another meeting. You've been writing a lot, including in your Times column today, about what they potentially could do. But as you point out, things like reforming the planning system, actually going for economic growth, are going to take some time. In terms of the news we got this week, in terms of what's going to happen in the immediate future, what are their options? I
0: I think you are right. But the danger for the government of all these measures that they talk about is that they seem very small in comparison to what People are faced with i mean one of them which is the least small of the ideas out there is the idea of relaxing the child care Ratio, something that you write about in your Telegraph column. Now, this idea has been around since since the coalition. And interestingly, at the time when that idea was dropped, uh, the rationale, the explanation given to me was that the truth is we couldn't have as relaxed ratios as France because this only applies in England. English children were not as well behaved as their French counterparts, <laughs> uh, and, and this went into a long disc- discussion about the different ways in which um, was, ch- that a sa- was that are a scientific claim? Ra- no. Well. <laughs> It's all about the way in which children are raised, uh, and and yeah. So,
2: by the way, Swedish children are completely unruly. Um, just no, I, I think in.
0: this is about. I think I, I think in France, children are it is still a more Victorian attitude to yeah. to i
2: Miss it in class. Uh, the Swedes are completely anarchical, and we're somewhere in between. Mm. Yeah, but I mean,
0: I think, I think the English Swedes are,
1: have relaxed child to mind ratios, I, I but personally, go on. Think this
0: is a good thing. <laughs> children are made to feel more like they are the centre of attention than, than children. In yeah. Yes, uh, and so, but you know, but the the, the reports say in the silence that this ratio is only going to be relaxed from four to five. So yes, it might make some difference at the margin, and childcare costs in the UK are more expensive than uh, in most countries, and it is a significant drain on the incomes of families where both parents work. But you know, but this this, this is not a radical. Shift, and so I think the question is, you know, what can you do on the supply side? And then I think the other question is, you know, we seem to be tiptoeing towards a moment where you might end up with Russia actually acting preemptively to try and cut off gas to mm-hmm. Europe. You know, they seem to be they seem to be involved in some provocations. More gas flowing through Ukraine from Gazprom has been reduced again today. In those circumstances. I think you could see the European regional gas price go totally crazy. So I, I think I think the bad news for the government is the there are still visible kind of, the, the known unknowns, if you see what I mean, could push inflation even higher than the 10% that the Bank of England is currently forecasting.
1: Well, their projections have always underestimated how high inflation is going to go. So um, it, it seems very possible that it could ex, uh, exceed the double digits they're already estimating now. Uh, Fraser, in your column today, you talk about cakeism, that Boris Johnson has never wanted to make a choice, that he wants everything and he expects the people around him to figure out a way to get it now um, in better times that can just be defined as optimism but in difficult times it seems like he's avoiding making a decision how much longer can this go on for because you know you have the prime minister coming out and saying things like you know don't worry we're gonna do more and then his cabinet turned to him and say when did we agree to do more what are we doing where's the money what's the policy surely this is this is going to come to a head quite soon as real pressure is building on ordinary folk um, who are having very difficult time right now.
2: I think it's come to a head already. I think Boris Johnson was delusional in thinking that he could be a low-tax Tory and a high-spending Tory. I think Rishi Sunak has, has taken a lot of pain politically, internally, by being the one who said to Boris Johnson, no, if you're going to put up spending, then you're going to have to put up taxes too, because I'm not going to let you um, put this on the national debt. Uh, so that has been the, sort of a source of tension between Boris and Sunak. It has also been the problem of Sunak's own reputation, because he's a low-tax Tory who's been putting up taxes. Now, Boris Johnson's temperament is to always want more or to choose two, where ordinary mortals will, ch- will choose one. So things like jobs, women, policy positions, he likes two, sometimes three, uh, where most of us would have to go for one. Now, this uh, his gen- this has tended to work for him, broadly speaking, throughout his life. And he always takes the view of the he took of number 10 redecoration. Let's spend the money, and then some nice chap will come with a checkbook and sort it out later. That did happen with his redecoration, but right now he just spent 400 billion quid on his lockdowns. There is not a man with a checkbook big enough to come and cover the cost of that. So he's sitting having to confront the reality of his own spending decisions right now. So you're sitting on this cabinet's discussions where they have just been the ones. Only last month they increased national insurance by two and a half percent of everybody's salaries. A lot of people could do with that money back in their pockets. That would help them. But he's still sitting here, Boris Johnson, with massive plans for um, the green agenda, net zero, for example. I mean, that would inflict on his plans huge costs on families. These planning to do these infrastructure splurges predicated on commuting springing back in a way where it just simply won't. We've been out of lockdown for nine months now and train traffic is still about 20% down. Traffic on a London underground is about a third below its pre-pandemic levels. The commuting patterns, the five-day-a-week office jobs do not look like coming back anytime soon. So now is the time for him to be thinking, what can I get rid of? What plans made sense pre-pandemic? What made sense pre-credit crunch or rather cost-of-living crunch that do not make sense now? He hates choosing. He hates working out that if you want A, you cannot do B. If he wants to reduce the cost of his government and other people, he's going to have to reduce the costs of his government. There is no third way this time.
1: Fraser and James, thanks for joining me, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee House Shots. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And to keep up to date with the world of Westminster, sign up for Unrivaled Insight and Analysis with Isabel Hardman's Evening Blend newsletter, delivered to your inbox every weekday evening. Sign up at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash evening hyphen blend.